Hi there, esteemed audience. Welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. Uh, I'm Rob Kent, and we are recording this March 31st of 2020, uh, which is the launch date of Wink by today's guest, Rob Harrell. Uh, and we're going to be talking about this guest, but I'm letting you know the specific date that we're recording because this will be released April 4th. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, COVID-19 uh, tonight. And because the news is moving so fast, I want to set a definitive marker as to where we were when we were talking about this so that it maybe won't seem trite depending on, on, on where we're at. I haven't quite figured out uh, what this is going to mean for the podcast. Uh, in some ways, it's relatively low on my list of concerns, but it is, it is a concern. Um, where I feel, and it, it, it changes almost hourly, as I'm sure you're experiencing some version of as well, um, is I, I feel like we're all in a roller coaster car, and I can almost hear that chick, 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 chick as we're going up the tracks toward the top of the hill. And I feel like at, at some point we're going over. Uh, and I, I think about that metaphor a lot. I don't know what we're going to find uh, once things really start to heat up there. Uh, it's my, my first pandemic, probably yours as well. Uh, so the plan is we're going to talk uh, tonight, uh, and then I've got two more episodes coming up that were pre-recorded, uh, one with author Joy McCullough and then one with author Matali Perkins. Uh, that'll take us through uh, to about the middle of April, uh, and then we'll, we'll reassess. Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll have um, more shows after that. It's certainly my intention. Uh, to continue doing the show as long as possible. I've got lots of uh, interviews planned with wonderful people that have agreed to appear. Uh, traffic numbers tell me that uh, you're listening, still esteemed audience. In fact, some of you are binge listening, uh, it appears, uh, which is wonderful. And and, and why not? This uh, book talk uh, that we're doing is far more fun than the news. So I absolutely support it. I hope that you enjoy the entire catalog. Um, but this is going to change everything. Uh, and just like you were all in this uh, uh, car together, uh, I'm there with you. I don't know what that's going to look like. Um, usually I tell you about my book, Banneker Bones and the Cyborg Conspiracy, which should be released on May 15th. I'm, uh, we're going to table that for a later time, but there's a very high probability that that uh, release date will be moved back. Um, in the meantime, if you can't wait, I know you've got time. You can still download Banneker Bones and the Jaya Robot Bees for free as an ebook. It's also an audiobook, a paperback. You know the drill. Uh, get yourself a copy. When are you going to have more time to read than right now when you're in quarantine? And what better thing could you read than a book by your favorite podcast host, Banneker Bones and the Jaya Robot Bees? So download that. Uh, other authors right now who have books uh, that are coming out that have been planned, you know, for years, uh, there are debut authors that have, their entire writing life has been building to this moment, and they don't have the luxury of reassessing those release dates, uh, and they're losing opportunities to appear at in-person venues. Other authors are, are losing revenue streams from uh, teaching, from appearances, uh, from all sorts of events, and this is not the most tragic thing that, that's happening during this time uh, in our history, obviously, but it is a tragic thing. Uh, and my heart goes out to everyone in America, but, but writers in particular, because if you watch or listen to the show, you know I love writers best. Uh, and it's okay to feel sad if you're an author um, that's experiencing some of this turmoil. Um, so if, uh, if, we're able to. I'm going to continue the show. If this uh, 
there's a possibility that mid-April we may take a break before we continue with additional episodes. If it turns out to be more than a break, uh, it's been a privilege. It's been a pleasure. Um, I can't express my gratitude for every guest that's ever been good enough to appear on the show. Uh, this has been one of the most satisfying uh, things I've done with, it, with my life. Um, I, I would say the best, but, you know, I, I've got a wife and child, it's, but it's pretty good. I've really enjoyed talking with all of these fabulous authors, agents, editors, book people, good people. Uh, but as we uh, Hoosiers say here in Indiana, uh, we have this phrase, God willing and I'm alive. And God willing and I'm alive, this show will go on. I'm going to stay in the business to uh, promoting authors, promoting books, promoting reading. Um, you can, as always, head to middlegradeninja.com to get updates on what's going on with me, the show, anything else. Something you will find on there uh, right now uh, is the Indiana Writer Center uh, has begun virtual courses. So even though we're in quarantine, that doesn't mean that we can't uh, continue to improve our writing. We can't continue to meet and, and talk through online workshops. Uh, and I'm going to be hosting a series of those here in April. Uh, so if you listen to the show uh, and you your your only wish is that there were fewer guests and more of me talking, well, esteemed audience, you are in luck because I'm going to be doing that. Uh, April 13th at 6 p.m. through the Indiana Writer Center. Just head to indianawritercenter.com uh, or head to middlegradeninja.com. I've got the link there. I will be doing a three-hour class about finishing your novel. Uh, you've got time in quarantine. Those of you that have always said, if only I had time to write a novel, I would do it. Well, you've got the time. So come hang out with me April 13th on Zoom. We'll do a three-hour talk about some tips to finish your novel. Uh, April 27th, I will be doing a course on the basics of self-publishing. Uh, and then very exciting, beginning April 16th for five Thursdays, uh, we're going to be doing a three-hour fiction workshop. Uh, and this is whether you're in Indiana with the Indiana Writer Center or whether you're one of my listeners in Australia, one of my listeners in England, one of my listeners in, in India, in Spain, all over the world. Uh, I love you, and I would love to have you in this uh, workshop or one of these classes. So head to middlegradeninja.com. I know you've got time because we're all under quarantine. Thursday sessions beginning at 6 to 9. The kids are in bed. You want to talk writing. We'll work together. And during that workshop, I'm going to be emailing you every day to ask for your word count and to hold you accountable to your uh, goals. That's one of the reasons I do the workshop is because I need somebody to hold me accountable. That's that's my true payment for doing it. I uh, is uh, building a group uh, up to 10 writers. We're capped out at 10. Uh, so it'll be a small group, and we're going to work together to keep riding through this thing. If you're interested, head to middlegradeninja.com. I hope to see you there. That might be the longest intro I've ever done. Rob Harrell, I apologize. Thank you very much for uh, waiting so patiently. How are no you evening, sir? Yeah, no, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. And uh... I am uh, thrilled to be talking with you on launch day of Wink, which I absolutely loved. Uh, I'm very excited for you, and I'm very excited for everyone who's about to get their hands on this wonderful book. I'm so very probably, excited too. This is, this is I'm probably the most excited about this book that I have been of anything I've put out. So um, today's been fun. Just knowing that people are, you know, getting their books in the mail, that sort of thing is is really fun. Well, let's start there with the elephant uh, in the room. Here we are in the time of Corona. Uh, what does your book launch date look like under quarantine? I haven't left the house, so, uh, you know. Very uh, responsible. It was, it was all, yeah. 
Uh, I was supposed to be in New York. Uh, I was supposed to be starting a book tour yesterday. Um, and uh, that's been canceled, obviously. And, uh, you know, I was going to have a public event last night. Uh, most of it was school visits. Um, so it's been very different. Yeah, you know, I focused on social media a lot today, more than I generally like to. But uh, it, it was exciting. And I put up some videos. My publishers put up some videos. Um, a lot of Facebook chatting with friends who were getting the books, that sort of thing. Um, you know, so it's it's a disappointment that I'm not able to be out there. Um, but I'm I'm trying to focus on the excitement of of, uh, of just having the book out. It's it's been a long time coming. Uh, it took me a while to write it, and it took me a while from from uh, you know when we found out it was going to be published till now. Uh, it's been quite a while, so it's just really exciting that it's here. Uh, it's a book that I feel like. Um, Unlike some of my other books, it, it's, it has more of a purpose. I feel like it could, it could maybe potentially help some people, even maybe during this time, this COVID-19 time. Um, so it feels good. Oh, nothing else. It will definitely pass the time most pleasantly. You will <laughs> laugh. You will cry. You are going to have a wonderful time. You know, let's start there because I've got a bunch of questions for you about your background as a uh, comic strip artist. I've got yep, questions yep. for you about the big budget movie that's coming out based on your book. Uh, what in 2021 all we're yeah. going to talk about all that stuff we're going to talk about flying saucers possibly some haunted stuff we'll see we'll tease <laughs> all that up front so that esteemed audience knows where we're going to pay that off but by god let's talk about wink let's just start there what is wink about uh wink is about a, a boy ross uh in seventh grade ross malloy and uh he's going through cancer treatment see you actually the book starts right up with him starting into cancer treatments, but then you get the backstory of how he got diagnosed with this rare eye cancer. And it's actually the same cancer that I, I had my own cancer experience. I was in my thirties. It was, um, 14 years ago. Uh, so I, he's in middle school. He's a kid who likes to blend in, doesn't want to stick out. And, uh, and suddenly his doctors are telling him to wear this goop on his face and, he loses hair, and they make him wear this awful wide-brimmed cowboy hat, um, all of which I had to do, but I wasn't in seventh grade. Um, so suddenly he sticks out very much, and uh, he has some problems with some of his friends. He starts making some new friends. Um, but basically, it's it's uh, some of the middle school turmoil is almost as much of a problem for him as the... Uh, the cancer diagnosis. Um, although, you know, sometimes the cancer diagnosis gets on top of them. So, it, but it's a funny book. I know it doesn't, what I just described does not sound funny. Uh, there's a, um, there's a lot of humor in it. There's, he, he, he falls in love with music, he gets involved with the guitar. Uh, there's a lot of friendship and family and all that, that uh, those are the ways that he learns to cope with what he's going through, through a really difficult time. Uh, including he draws a character called Batpig, uh, who it's a it's a comic strip that he does in his sketchbook, and uh, you get to see those comics throughout the book, and uh, you can see how he's dealing with uh, with what he's going through in those comics. Like that's a way that's almost like therapy for him to work it out. 
Yeah. That won my uh, heart over. I uh, when I was uh, in in middle school and and and, and late grade school, I drew a character called Batworm because uh, I was terrible with uh, hands and, and and feet. But by God, I could draw a cow and a cape, and there's our worm. We're good. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, well, and he he starts out drawing a character called Batbutt, and he gets in trouble, so he he switches over to drawing Bat Pig. Um, and uh, yeah, I've had so much fun with that character too. It's like a little side side main character I get to do a there's lots of uh, well there's lots of uh, illustrations throughout that you're going for broke uh, with some of these drawings which makes sense you are a comic strip illustrator you you're a professional make pictures that make people laugh sort of fella sure, <laughs> that's sure, sure, sure. Play here. Uh, just trying to assure esteemed uh, audience that you will absolutely howl with laughter uh, in some scenes uh, throughout right. Yeah, there's a lot of awkward situations that happen. And uh, and then also, I think the real humor comes from Ross's perspective and the way he views things. And, uh, you know, one thing that I figured out when I went through my cancer thing is that even though, no matter how dire the situation, and I got into some pretty awful situations, you know, that part of your brain doesn't shut off. You still see the absurdity and, you know, you, you still have weird thoughts and all that. And that was part of what I wanted to get across in this book. Um, it was a way to show the experience sort of warts and all and uh, and show some ways to, to cope with it. The, the main one of which is, is having a sense of humor about it. So when, uh, when did you start this book? Was that a full 14 years past your own experience or when did you have enough perspective to feel like you could tell this story? Well, I started thinking about writing it um, a few years after, after, um, the experience you know when i was going through my cancer experience i was doing a syndicated strip called big top it was about a boy in the circus and um i was a daily strip and uh i never stopped doing it while i was going through my treatments so uh it was actually my treatments ended up happening in bloomington indiana so i lived with my parents they lived about two miles from one of the only places in the country where i could have gotten this treatment um you know, I continued to do my comic strip the whole time. And I think that that forcing myself to be funny and to think about the lighter side of things every day um, had an effect on me. It, it got me through it. And uh, so so I started thinking about, was there a way to tell the story using my characters from Big Top? Uh, you know, there was a bear and a poodle and a lion. And, and, um, and uh <laughs> I, I just kept playing around with it, and I, it, the idea wasn't quite right. And what, it was just a couple of years ago when I really finally came up with an idea that um, that I could I could set it in middle school. Um, I actually had a friend whose daughter was diagnosed with cancer. Um, she was a freshman in high school, and she and I talked quite a bit about the whole experience, and uh, and I got to see how hard it was on somebody her age. Um, there was a whole added social element to it, that sort of thing. And so um, a lot of things came together. I had just finished my Life of Zarf books. You know, she got diagnosed. We talked about it. Um, it just all kind of all the pieces fell in place. And I realized this might be the way to write the book where it would help the most. And it felt the most natural, I guess, in a, in a way, in a weird way. Um, and was that where you drew a lot of inspiration? Because 
something that really stood out to me is the father character. And I feel like we, we feel some of his pain uh, almost as much as Ross's pain uh, and, and watching his son have to go through a lot of this. And, and that's probably just me reading into it as a father and thinking, Oh my, Oh my God, what a terrible thing. Um, was that you know, I, I definitely, and, I definitely, I think some of that probably came from seeing my friends uh, have their daughter go through it. She's fine. By the way, at this point, I want to make that clear. Um, but um yeah, I, I think I saw what they were going through. And, and, and part of it is, um, you know, as you go, keep rewriting and rewriting and trying to flesh out these characters, um, you get a real feel for them. And, and uh, I liked the dad character. And uh, he, he was someone who was sort of easy to write for. Maybe because I'm probably about the same age he would be. Um, and, I, and I related uh, a bit with how, how helpless he felt. Um, and I think I think I tried to make that come across that he had, you know, he wanted everything good for his son, but he was also struggling um, because sometimes there's just nothing to do. I, I, that sounds really grim, <laughs> but, but I, I, it I, is. <laughs> it is. It is grim. That's um, the human experience, unfortunately, sometimes. Yeah, but then even his dad has this sense of humor and comes at things in an interesting way and talks about them with Ross in an interesting way that sort of um, lightens the burden on Ross a little bit, I think. Uh, yeah, I tried to. <laughs> I don't think there's a character in the story that doesn't have at least one nice moment uh, where if it's not just straight humor, just like, oh, okay, uh, I can see their humanity. They're, they're, they're fine. <laughs> okay, good, good. Even, even, even Jimmy uh, won me over before it was done. <laughs> that, that's that was intended but uh, uh but again i wasn't sure where jimmy was going when i started writing the book i i think one of the questions you asked people is about pantsing or oh uh, sure and i'm I, I tend to be i pants for about the first third of a book and then i'm or no i plot for the first third of a book and then i'm a pantser from there on out so i i, I got the characters in place and still wasn't sure where they were going um uh, but Jimmy was one of the ones that surprised me, and, and uh, I really enjoyed writing that character. So. so, when you're pantsing past the first third, are you? Do you still have an ending in mind, or are you just letting the characters go until they they show you what the ending is going to be? I generally do have an ending, uh, a vague ending in mind. Uh, I wouldn't say that I uh, lock down the details on it um, because. More often than not, I end up veering off in a different direction at some point. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm really good at writing 80 pages and then scrapping it because I realize I don't like where it's headed. Um, so I would probably do, <laughs> probably write faster, get more books out, that sort of thing, if I um, would sit down and write an outline and write out, you know, here's what's going to happen. But... Um, Somehow that doesn't feel organic to me, and that's just my own personal preference. It, it feels um, uh, just. I also am not sure I have that ability to sit down and go, "Here's the story," and I just make it up on the spot and and plot it out. Um, I kind of like to have the characters lead me a little bit. So that sounds really uh, new agey or something, but I but I I, I don't mean it that way. It's just. Um, rewriting and writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting um, is, is how I find the story. It seems. I wish I could say I could find it faster, but that, that's what it tends to happen. 
Well, in your defense, aren't you doing a daily comic strip the entire time you're writing as well? I am. I am. And, uh, yeah, that takes up some time. And, uh, and uh, I have to write when I can. Let's put it that way. That's sort of my um, day job, I guess you'd call it. It's a point. But, uh, you know, I love doing both. Uh, it's nice, actually, to have both. I, I can sort of go with where my energy takes me. You know, if there's a day where it feels more like the day to write strips, there's a day where it feels more like, oh, this is a writing on the book day, that kind of thing. I can I can bounce around a little bit, which is nice. So pre pre quarantine, because I know that's uh, changed how we're all doing things. Uh, pre quarantine, when you were uh, working on Wink, what did your typical writing day look like? I uh, I like to write in a coffee shop. Uh, I've got a couple here in um, Zionsville that I like, um, and I I go out. I probably you know, I'm in my spot by nine and then, um, I, you know, I just set up a table and when I, when I'm writing again, what I end up having to do is I'll have to work ahead on the script usually and clear up two or three days in a row where I can write and I will set up and, um, just, especially when I'm doing the first draft, I just write like the wind. I just kind of write really fast. Um, I heard some writers say that they're, might have been Stephen King or somebody said uh, they're not a good writer; they're a good rewriter. I think uh, I kind of fall into that. So um, I just sort of start spilling story out, and then uh, you know I'll write for hours. Um, you know, if I get ten pages, that's a good day. If I get eighteen pages, that's a really good day. Um, and I know there are people that write a lot faster and people who write a lot slower than that. So, um, that, that seems to be about my pace. Uh, and then, you know, ideally I work, I write for three or four days, two, three, four days, and then, um, go away and work on the strip for a few days. And then I come back and it's, I have kind of fresh eyes on it and I'll go back and, um, I'm kind of always looking to reduce what I've written, if that makes sense. Uh, I think I'm always looking to take out the fat, take out words that don't need to be there, um, scenes that don't need to be, you know, I, I, I try not to repeat myself and that sort of thing. So, and I find that when I'm doing my first draft, I do a lot of that. I do a lot of um, unnecessary writing. And then when I go back, I realize, oh, I can... This isn't necessary here. And so I, there are actually some really fun scenes I've written that I've pulled just because I don't think they drive the story or drive the characters forward. Um, so that's, that's sort of my... So what, I, drink uh, lot of, I drink a lot of coffee and sit in Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, what uh, becomes of those scenes? Do you keep them someplace? Do you use them for anything? Or this, do you hit the delete button goodbye? Uh. No, usually I, I hold on to those drafts, and I have I have um, lifted from you know here and there, or or eventually you know I might realize later in the story like oh that scene actually works now if I you know rework it a little bit. Um, so I do I hold on to those. Uh, you know I, I have since 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 Wink I've started several books, um, and I have all of those starts, and uh, and it's interesting how. Each new book that I've started has kind of 
taken elements from different from the other books that I've started. So um, hopefully, eventually, I'll land on an actual book <laughs> and not just a start. Um, I've got a bunch of like hundred-page starts to books, and uh, I, I would I would like to soon here find the next. What so you've got several hundred-page starts to to choose from then. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, then I start bouncing them off my agent, and and uh, we start talking about them, and um, he's he's fantastic. He's he's you know works almost like an editor at this point with me, and um, that's fantastic to be able to have just somebody to bounce it off of and get his honest opinion on things. And uh, you know, if I feel really strongly about something and he doesn't like it, I will usually yeah, I keep going on this a little bit. Um, but really often, and, and I've, I've gotten really lucky with my editors and my agent, sometimes I feel like they say the things that has been in the back of my head, you know, the thing that's been gnawing at me and bothering me, they have a way of saying, eh, this feels a little, you know, and, uh, and I'll be like, yeah, that's exactly. Um, so I'm not, I'm not somebody who likes to write in a vacuum. I, I, I would never want to write a book in a vacuum. Uh, I, I appreciate the... Uh, collaborative process I guess of I, I don't I don't think I would want to write a book with another writer but it's nice to be able to work with an agent and an editor and get feedback so and if you don't mind saying who, who is your editor agent uh my my agent is Dan Lazar uh, at Writer's House and then um my editor is Kate Harrison at Penguin well at Dial Books for Young Readers and uh they're both I I I love them both. They're, they're amazing. So, um, and I've worked, uh, I did all the Life of Zarf books and Wink with both of them. So uh, I feel very much, very, I trust them, if that, you know, which is, is a huge thing, I think, uh, when you're working on a book. Um, and especially a book, really personal book like this. Uh, they both respected my story, um, but tried to help me make it the most impactful uh, the most relatable, um, and, and also something that would, you know, ultimately appeal to the most people as well. Uh, so it was really nice to have that um, comfort with them to work. Dan and Kate, if you're listening, uh, which I assume you listen every week, uh, but this week I want to formally extend the invitation to you. Please come on the show at any point. Get in touch with me. I'd love to love to chat with you. Uh, Dan has a seven-question interview available right now, esteemed audience, at middlegradeninja.com. You can read an interview with Dan Lazar. Uh, he is uh, he's a big deal. Been a big deal for a while. So esteemed audience loves a good how I got my agent story. How would you land Dan Lazar of Writer's House? Um, Am I saying that right? Is it Writer's House? I can't remember the name of every agency. Yeah, Writer's House. Oh, yeah, it is Writer's House. Okay, good. Yeah. You know, um, I was introduced to Dan by um, some fellow cartoonists who have also gone on to uh, write some some books. Um, if you know Stefan Pastis, Mark Tatuli, um, Michael Fry, they've all worked with him. And uh, they... Uh, we go to this thing called Rubens every year. It's the Cartoonist Awards, National Cartoonist Awards each year. And, uh, and it's an excuse to hang out and um, have some drinks with your friends, frankly. And and, uh, and over talking with them and, and uh, Lincoln Purse uh, had, had, well, first you'd had Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Jeff Kinney, and then Lincoln 
tried it with Big Nate, and then uh, we all sort of got interested, and Stefan tried it. And anyway, so I, I got introduced. Uh, there was sort of this push of cartoonists who've been doing comic strips for years, and we know how to write funny, we know how to draw, we know how to make something funny, and uh, it felt like we had all the tools, and it was an exciting thing to try to, to come up with a, a hybrid novel. Um, and, you know, it's, a, it's unfortunate that I think almost anybody who writes a book in that genre right now, you know, the first line of the review is, well, we've got another, you know, Diary of a Wimpy Kid uh, here. But in my mind, it's become more of a, a true genre. It's, it's, it's uh, and they're so popular and kids love them. So it's fun to write them because, you know, kids are going to respond to them. And um, yeah, so here we have it. Another type of book that kids really enjoy reading and that is super successful. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, what, what could be wrong with that? So, uh, so and your objection is, <laughs> and and I just over and over and over, I I get you know uh, the feedback that kids love them and and the parents love them that the kids love them and and um, so yeah, that was so much fun to write. Uh, but anyway, so so I contacted Dan and. Uh, I had three or four ideas that I'd been brewing up uh, before I talked with him. And, uh, and then we talked through them and I started working on a couple of them and eventually we whittled it down. And, uh, and then eventually I sent him a draft with illustrations and all that. And, and it was, um, it wasn't the whole book, but uh, it was enough that, you know, he wanted to work with me and, and, um, Nerd question for anybody that might want to do something similar. The illustrations, you're not doing those on the page the way they're eventually going to appear. You're sending those separate from the text, right? Well, actually, what I would do is I would just do them in Photoshop and drop them into the Word document. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, so I, I would just kind of separate, you know. And then even, I, I hadn't done all the illustrations because there are a lot of illustrations in those Zarf books. Um, I hadn't done all of them, but what I had done is indicated, you know, sort of in parentheses, here's where... You know, this gag, I would describe what the joke was going to be or what the illustration would be. Um, but I, I put in quite quite a few illustrations to get the feel for the book and, uh, and feel for the characters. And, it, you know, he responded to it. And then um, it was pretty amazing that then uh, publishers responded to it. Uh, you know, I, I still feel lucky every day that I get to do this. So, um I was thrilled. Now, I had also done my graphic novel before that with Top Shelf Productions, and that um, I didn't have an agent when I when I did that book. Um, are we talking about the Monster on the Hill, or which one are we talking? Yeah, Monster on the Hill, uh, the one that's being made into the movie. Um, and so I had just done I had done a seven page story for an anthology um, that somebody was putting together, and uh, and then the anthology fell through, and I was showing it to somebody. I was actually at like a cartoonist meetup kind of thing in Austin. I was living in Austin, Texas at the time. And, uh, and I showed it to a guy and he knew somebody. And, you know, next thing I know, I was talking to the producer or the publisher of, um, Top Shelf and, um, and he liked it. And so that sort of took off that way as well. Uh, so I feel really lucky that, that these things have, um, been well received. So, um, and again, I've always felt pretty confident in being able to write something that was um, at least amusing, if not funny. Um, and so 
it, it was so much fun to spread my wings, you know, after doing a comic strip where every, every day it's four panels and it's done. Um, you know, you can have a story that kind of lasts throughout a week, but um, it was really nice to stretch out and write dialogue and, and all that. And so um, I feel like I'm rambling at this point, but anyway, it was, it was no, nice. It's all, it's all good rambling. You're telling the story. I want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it was, uh, it, it was, fun to write the dialogue and uh and just expand and I, I think what slowly has happened over the years is that I started out as an illustrator and uh so then I started doing the comic strip you know so slowly I became an artist who thought he could kind of write and I think I've now kind of switched over to where I feel like I may enjoy the writing as much as the, the illustration but it's it's you know you could ask me tomorrow and I might feel differently, but um, that's been an interesting way to slide. It's almost like I came in the back door of all of this because I started out as a cartoonist. Um, and that was sort of my entry into publishing. But, uh, and, and that gave me sort of, uh, sort of a leg to stand on also when I was writing to agents and things like that. Um, you, you tossed that out there like that's... Uh... Not a great feat to have started off already as a, a working, getting paid for a living cartoonist. I mean, that's pretty huge right away. So when I know you were a poli-sci major, you said uh, before we started recording for about two two months or something. Yeah, yeah, not not long. I, I went to DePaul University and, and I thought, um, I'll be honest, when I was in like fourth grade, I announced to my family, I want to be a cartoonist. I want to do a comic strip. And uh they say that I said I wanted to be Gary Trudeau, which I think is really weird if a fourth grader said that. But um, a very so sophisticated then, fourth grader. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that story's gotten warped over the years. But um, I mean, I did come to love Doonesbury, but it just seemed like fourth grade was early. But uh, so, so that's what I really wanted to do. I, I was working towards that. I did strips, you know, in high school and uh, college, but my you know, my folks wanted me to have a, another plan. My dad's a lawyer. So uh, I went I went to law or you know, I went into poli sci thinking, well, if I'm going to be the next Gary Trudeau, I've got to know politics. And sure. I think my dad was thinking, well, this way, when he, everything crashes, he can go back. He can be a lawyer. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I, I took, you know, intro to poli sci. And about two months in, I think I realized, wow, this really isn't isn't me and uh and then thankfully i met a couple of older guys that you know, a couple of friends that were upperclassmen and they convinced me to switch over and be an art major um just because they'd seen my work and and they were like what are you doing why, why, why are you doing this um so i switched over uh but yeah so you say that that was a big feat to be a, a cartoonist i mean getting syndicated it was like the dream my whole life and when it finally happened i mean how long did that take from we were in poli side doodling to I, I've got to take these doodles and make it a big deal to now I'm syndicated. How long a, a time are we talking? Well, I got out of, I got out of college. I got out of DePaul and uh, I designed t-shirts for a year with a friend and I, we, we had a business. Um, then I went a back. Business, a, a profitable t-shirt business. It actually did pretty well. Uh, this is you're this, a hustler, Rob Harrell. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we would, we would design t-shirts for specific, sporting events and i'm not a sports guy so it was weird that we were doing it in the first place but uh you know <laughs> so we would design things for like the iowa michigan game and then we'd go up there and sell them in the parking lot and try not to get arrested for doing that and, and uh and then we 
we also we sent we put together a catalog and sent it out to um, fraternities and sororities. And then what ultimately happened is I got sick of drawing like Bugs Bunny doing keg stands and things like that for T-shirts. Um, but we sold a lot of T-shirts. But, but anyway, um, then after what, that, what kind of days are we talking back at a at a parking lot? You and your friend with a, a trunk full of T-shirts. How much money are you pulling off on a day like that? It's been a while, so I can't I can't really remember. But I do remember one time we 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 had a trunk full of T-shirts that were specifically about Michigan beating. I can't remember who, um, and uh, and we got up there and it was freezing cold, so nobody was wanting to buy the T-shirts on the way in. And then we went to a bar to watch watch the game play out and uh, and watched Michigan get pounded. And, uh, <laughs> Dewey had this this you know huge investment of t-shirts in the trunk of the car that we're not going to pay out and uh so afterwards we were out there trying to sell them for like three bucks a t-shirt and we're like tell people you bought the shirt before this game you know, you know um so it's a pretty good sales pitch yeah, yeah. so we, we did that for for a while and then i went to ringling school of art design down in sarasota and studied illustration. Got and at this point, book. Dad has said, "Okay, I, I accept that uh, my son is off to run." Or <laughs> yes, yes, he, <laughs> he's, he's, he's and he, he, very, very supportive. I think they were just always concerned that I have a, a, a plan B. Um, oh yeah, so I went down and I studied, and then uh, when I got out, I started as an illustrator, and it was 2002 is when I finally submitted a comic strip idea that the syndicate liked and it was universal press syndicate who i'd always wanted to be with they were you know they they handled garfield and dunsbury and and um you know a lot of the big ones um so i was surprised when you said gary what you do a, a fellow hoosier we we get jim davis preached at us on a, on a pretty regular basis yeah uh, jim yeah. davis well, and, and I, david letterman those are our favorite sons right yeah, <laughs> john mellencamp yeah. we can't and forget I, him and I've gotten to know Jim a little bit over the years. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, he, he helped get me into the National Cartoonist Society, uh, which is really nice. I mean, he's a great guy. Um, yeah, but, but so finally, I, you know, Bloom County was probably, if you read Bloom County, that was probably my biggest inspiration as far as a comic strip. Um, so then I finally landed this big top. And uh, so I did that from 2002 to 2007. Um, but you know, the day I found out, I went nuts. Um, it was really exciting. Uh, so uh, the way the day I found out, I was getting to do it, not the day it ended. Um, but then, uh, but then the they, you they out, how'd you celebrate? Well, what was that moment like? Uh, I jumped around. I had a studio in the Stutz Building, if you know it, downtown Indy, uh, where there's a bunch of artist studios. And uh, I just remember I got a call from this guy who I'd known his name, Lee Salem. He's the head of the uh, syndicate and I I'd known his name since I was in seventh grade and and uh you know he was this untouchable like oh my god whenever I ever got to talk to him and he called me on the phone to ask me to do the strip and I I think I jumped around for about 10 minutes um wore myself out and then my wife and I went out to dinner to this restaurant that we loved and they served us the worst meal one of the worst meals I've ever had I don't know what happened it was just like they were having an off night and uh I should have taken that as a an omen or something but um thankfully i didn't so i love doing big top it was a lot of fun we put out a couple of big top books and and uh it's fun so anyway then i i pretty soon thereafter they asked me to take over the strip adam at home 
Uh, so I started doing that. And around that time is when I started on the graphic novel, then came the Zarf books, and now we're here. Well, at the height of it all, the Middle Grade Ninja podcast, I, by God. <laughs> I know, I know, I've arrived. I'll be listening to this. There's not. <laughs> That's, yeah, uh... There's so many questions to unpack on as to how you, you got there. And I, I suspect some of the answer is a bit of luck, a whole lot of hard work and uh, <laughs> some variation thereof. Yeah. Yeah. yeah all yeah. of that. Um, a lot of hard work. You know, uh, I, I think I never had any idea of how hard a graphic novel is to do. Um, and then I set out to do sort of a long one with lots and lots and lots of detail and uh, you know, thought I'd crank that out in about six months and it was it was more like a two and a half year process um and uh I want to do another graphic novel but I don't want to do another graphic novel so I haven't figured that out yet but um yeah it, it's it's been a lot of work but it's you know um I had friends most of my friends from college you know went out and got what I would call normal jobs and uh you know they started climbing the ranks and buying houses and um, having 401ks and things like that. And uh, meanwhile, I was still, you know, struggling, waiting tables. And, and uh, it's a different path. And as, when I talk to kids who want to be a cartoonist or be an artist, um, that's one of the things I always say. I'm like, well, just be prepared that, um, you know, while other people may jump on the highway, you're going to be like hacking a trail through the woods. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of work but you also might find some amazing things in those woods, you know, like you have some moments, um, like right now, this is a moment that I've been waiting for for years to get this book, uh, into people's hands. And, and it's just, I, I, I wouldn't give it up. I wouldn't give it up for, uh, for the maybe easier or straighter path. Um, uh, well, if you wanted an ordinary life, you'd have done ordinary things, right? Right. I guess so. I guess so. And I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back by saying that. I'm just saying, um, yeah, it is, it is a weird, weird, um, way to make a living. And sometimes, um, you know, I, I didn't see myself ending up exactly where I am now. You just kind of end up following, uh, hunches almost. And, uh, like, wait, I think I could do that. And I think I could do that pretty well. And, and, uh, and then I started writing and I realized how much I loved the writing part. So, I don't think I'm going anywhere um, uh, soon. I think I'll keep writing. You like it. You're going you're to be around. One more uh, question about early on, because I'm a little bit fascinated by this, because I've known uh, lots of artist friends. Those, those are always my favorite people. Uh, mm -hmm. If you've got some kind of artistic bend, musical bend, come sit by me. Let's talk. Uh, if you're a poli-sci major, to come back in a couple of months when you figure out what you really are, then let's talk. <laughs> right. I, 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 love, I love artists, but I also know that there for there's a bit of uh what's was survi survivorship bias uh, comes into play when i'm talking to people who are successful in the arts because mm -hmm. for um every rob harrell who puts in the time waiting tables fighting having that that late night anxiety i'm sure of oh my god if i became a lawyer i would have a nice house by now i <laughs> or, sure. or i'd be working uh, 78 hours a, a week but with the promise of a nice house uh, eventually right. and and a solid plan and i don't have that and am i a fool and you've got all that existential dilemma i assume um but for every story like that there's also a story of the person that went through all of that didn't have the success that you've had and ended up 
getting a job that's not as good as the law job they could have had if they'd started uh, on a more straightforward path. Um, not to bum everybody out that's listening, but I know a lot of I know a lot of writers. I know a lot of artists. Sure. I'm talking to you, so something right away. The 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 anecdote about you selling the T-shirts tells me a big part of this is you've just got more hustle than a lot of folks I've known. Now, something about artists. It, it, it's a general statement, so I better not make it. But it does. I have met a number of lazy people who happen to be artists, and they're extremely involved when it's their thing, and the stars align. And the yes, this is my vision. I'm a little bit that way myself. Uh, is if I if I can see that this is the thing I want, then I will stay up uh, every night for a week, and it will be there. And uh, you never saw me work so hard. But if you come in and ask me to do a reasonable thing that I don't want to do. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. So what what uh, what was it about you, if you know or if you have at least some theory that uh, puts you in a position where somebody would would take you seriously, want to give you a comic strip, see that you're capable of, of producing the work required? Um, oh, that's tough, but I, I think. Um... I've seen some people who work harder than anybody I've ever known at, say, artwork. They work tirelessly. They will stay up till four in the morning every night drawing and drawing and drawing and drawing. But those people, sometimes all they want to do is draw and draw and draw and draw and draw. And they don't want uh, critique. They don't, they're not open to critique. They're not open to making changes and things. And then sometimes they're not also, also open to doing the things that aren't working on your artwork at three in the morning. Um, sometimes you have to be a businessman. Sometimes you have to be a, um, you know, know how to write a nice letter, uh, you know, uh, how to reach out, how to, sh I almost said the word schmooze and that's not what I mean. I, I just mean you gotta be able to socialize or make connections um, and, and um, that would be my one guess. I, I just that um, I, I think I got a well-rounded education at DePaul. I was a liberal arts school. I think um, you know that that helps me every day when I sit down to write. I think I just have read a lot. I know you know, um, but I also think it taught me how to make connections with people. How to you know? Um, so it's very tempting sometimes to want to just be like, I'm going to be the best at this. I'm going to draw and draw and draw for, you know, 20 years. And eventually someone's going to notice me and make me the next great artist. Um, it sounds like a solid plan on paper. Why isn't it? <laughs> I, I think the problem is that, is that you know, it, well, no one's going to know about you if you just sit in and, and, you know, and so unfortunately, now, like nowadays, I think you need to get on social media. You need to put your stuff out there. You need to um, make connections. You need to, and I, I, I'm saying all this, that's not the stuff I like doing. I would rather sit in my office and draw all day or write all day. Um, but I've learned that you have to do some of that stuff. And I, I again, I'm just drawing it. I'm, I'm picking at straws. And, uh, and if that sounds, again, I don't want to sound holier than that or anything to anybody I, I just think um sometimes it is luck sometimes it is uh having the drive to get out there and like you said i may i may have scrapped a little bit to to get 
you know, to, to I think you have to just try. You have to throw out every, go after every chance that comes along. And uh, and I will say, when I was an illustrator, I did so many jobs that I would never show you, um, because you know I needed to earn a living. And uh, but I, what I did by doing those jobs, and you know, I, I never considered myself above doing those jobs. I did those jobs, and then I got connections within the advertising agencies and the design agencies and and um, I learned from those people and eventually the job started getting better and and um, I started getting to do jobs that were actually in my style things like that so I think um, you just have to really plug away and uh, and don't turn any opportunity down because you never know what's going to come of it um, that's I think that's the best I can do at answering that uh, because it is kind of the, the golden question, like why? And, and I will also tell you this, um, about 10 years ago, uh, 10 years ago right now, I was writing Monster on the Hill and I was at, I was in a panic. I was in a flat out panic. Um, I didn't know, you know, we were having trouble making the rent, that sort of thing. Uh, I was, you know, having you visions. You got Big Top going at that at that, at that point. No, uh, Big Top had ended, and uh, oh. and then yeah, and then, well, and actually, the period was really 2007 to 2009. I guess was the worst period where I was like, "What am I doing?" And uh, so those those things that you mentioned about uh, laying up at 4 a.m. thinking I've completely messed this up. I you know, thought I was better than I am and I can't get a job. And I, you know, I went around to, I think every design firm and every ad agency in, in um, Austin and it was a really hard time. And I, so I took a video job. I started filming video of the um, like Texas public government commissions and the Texas school board and all this stuff. And I would sit in the back room and film them. And it was actually while I was doing that, I got bored and they're filming these meetings and I started sketching characters and I ended up coming up with the monsters that became monster on the hill and, uh, sort of led me out of all of that. Um, nobody minds so, that you, the videographer was uh, clearly working on a book in the back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was, I was hidden. They couldn't see me. Uh, you know, I had, I had remote cameras. And so I, all I had to do was kind of punch buttons and move the cameras around and figure out who was talking. Um, but sometimes one person would talk for three hours and you'd, you know, start doodling. And uh, anyway, you know, that was a really scary, scary time. And I started thinking about, have I gone out on the limb and then cut the limb off? You know, I can't get back to the tree because I didn't have a backup plan. Uh, and um, yeah, it was rough. So I, I feel completely for anybody who's in that position. And, uh, and, and, and I can only say it's amazing what 10 years has done. Uh, I refocused. I got busy on a project, not even knowing if someone would buy it. I just started working on that graphic novel. Um, and then, you know, one thing has led to another. And, uh, and you know, I'll, I'll probably lay awake tonight thinking, what if this is it? What if this is the last book? Um, so, <laughs> Doesn't that happen every book? <laughs> Doesn't that happen every book? Yeah, oh, yeah, I think it's so. a little bit. I hope it does because it terrifies me. And uh, you know that 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 creeping feeling in your heart, like what if what if I'm out of ideas? Um, yeah. So 
it's tough. It's tough. And I, I would imagine it'll be tough. You know, I think about actors, actors, you know, every job they do is great, but then that job ends and they have to think, Oh, I got to go start auditioning again. Um, so start pitching sequel ideas. <laughs> yeah. Right. So my, my, my heart goes to anybody who's out there trying to, trying to, um, score a book deal or, or write a book or, um, there's nothing holier than that about any of that. That's all practical from your heart, good information that people can can put to use. And as we were talking, it occurred to me, uh, just as a natural contrarian, that there are plenty of folks that um, went and got a four-year degree, maybe got a master's degree, uh, that then found themselves in America uh, in, in, in 2008. Uh, got to help you. I was a stockbroker that year. I, I remember. Okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, or finding themselves recently graduated now in the time of quarantine. So I don't think that there's a path you can pick that you ever get to be out of the completely out of the lying awake, panicking just a little bit at night. I assure you, frustrated artist who is listening, if you'd gone with the the four year dental school degree, however long it takes to become a dentist, probably longer than four years, whatever. Uh, if you became a dentist, I know a dentist right now. Every time I see him, tells me he's panicked. He knows his business is going to close. There is no <laughs> completely safe role. Uh, where everything is gonna gonna work out 100% just as planned. I don't think that or whoever got that role, they're they're not telling us about it. <laughs> well, and e even somebody who you know, say I had gone and become a lawyer, um, I feel pretty confident telling you that even if I'd been a successful lawyer, I would probably be miserable, and I would be there would be a huge tug in the back of my heart, thinking, why didn't I follow my creative thing? You know, because. Um, that's that's where my life has led me and and uh i will take those 4 a.m nights of panicking about um what's going to happen next uh just to know that i'm 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 being creative and, and making a living being creative it's it's pretty exciting so when uh, or has this happened yet when did you finally have that feeling of oh i've i've done it I, it's going to be okay. I've got a nice house in Zionsville. I'm, I'm happily married. Things are going pretty well from the Rob Harrell universe. Or have you ever felt that sense of relief of here I am, it's, it's, it's done? Uh, yeah, I'm hoping it happens anytime. Uh, now, <laughs> I, I, I would say, of rumble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'll be well, it. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because every once in a while you, you, you know, you hit a triple. Or, or what do you, you know, I've never hit a home run in my career. Uh, I've, I've hit some solid doubles, stuff like that. Um, and, and not to get too crass and talk about money, but there are sometimes when you get a deal and you get a check and you think, all right, this is it. Um, and that la feeling lasts for, you know, a week, <laughs> a month, I don't know. Uh, and then quickly you realize, oh, oh yeah, well, what's behind that? Um, so, yeah, I don't know that I've had that feeling yet, to be honest. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll let you know when I start to feel comfortable because uh, that's kind of a scary thought. Um, I think you just have to constantly be moving and thinking about the next thing. So, um, not comfortable yet. I don't think I've talked with all the – I'm trying to think of the authors I've talked to 
on the show. I don't think I've talked to anybody yet that told them that they were 100%. I talked to Sharon Draper, and she was talking about, you know, her fourth or fifth, I don't remember how many times, being invited to the White House, all the awards she's won. Uh, and she's just got that little feeling of, ah, I better write another book. I'm, I'm a little bit apprehensive. Like, I could be in trouble here. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I, I'll be honest, I'm terrified right now because I don't have another book in the, you know, in the works. And, and uh, I mean, I have, like, like I told you, I have several in the works, but uh, I don't have anything locked down. And uh, that's a scary feeling. And, um, you know, it tempers the fact that, yeah, I feel I'm really excited about this book coming out. And I really hope it does well. But I don't know that. Um, so I think um, anybody who gets too comfortable is, is um, maybe isn't thinking enough about it. <laughs> if you had perspective, you'd know how uncomfortable you should You'd be. You'd never be comfortable. <laughs> yeah. So. That's what I, that's what I, that's been the deal I've earned, I guess, is I get to write books, but never be comfortable. So, um, I'll take it. Well, I teased it. Let's uh, make sure that I, I, I follow up with you talking a little bit more about Rumble, this uh, movie coming out starring, my God, Lego Batman is going to star in the movie made of your book. That's got to be the most exciting thing it's, uh, that could ever happen to a person, right? Yeah, it's incredibly exciting. Um, uh I will say this, and anybody who has read Monster on the Hill, I don't want them to go in and think that they're going to see a um, see my book spring to life on the screen because it has changed dramatically. It's um, almost not recognizable from my book at this point, um, and that's just the process is going on going on for about six, maybe eight years at this point, and. Um, you know, it just slowly kept getting further and further away from the material. There's still, the heart of the story is still the same. Um, you know, you still have giant monsters. Each town has their own monster. But it's now turned into much more of a uh, monster wrestling movie. Uh, it's still going to be a lot of fun. I've seen what they've done. And I've seen, I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen the animatics. I've seen the character design. Um, how much, uh, how involved have you been? How much input do you get to have on a, on a project like that? Um, especially being a first time author, you know, getting it, uh, I've had, uh, very little, I, I would say, um, I've been out there a few times, uh, out to LA to, um, meet with, you know, I met with a set of producers and then a year later they weren't on the project anymore. And then I went out and met with a director and then he wasn't on the, you know, and then I met with another director and then he wasn't on it again. And so are they just paying for these nice trips to LA every time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and they they're quick trips, and they, and I go out. And it, it's it, listen, it's been really exciting. It's fun to go out there, and and uh, you know they tell you what their vision is for for how the movie is going to turn out. And I did you know start to see the scripts, and I saw that they were changing a lot of things. Um, and, and unfortunately, as a, especially as a first time author, you don't have a lot of say. Um, you know, it's not like, and my book is not, you know, where the wild things are. They're not going to come in and say, well, we can't mess with this. Although I guess they did when they made that movie. Um, yeah, messed it all up. There's, there's <laughs> nothing sacred in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I'm really excited about the movie still. I just don't want anybody to go in picture, you know, the, the character designs have changed. The story has changed. Um, it, it, but uh, it's still been exciting and it's, yeah, so, in, you know, Will Arnett is the voice, and uh, I'm a huge Arrested Development fan, so for that reason, I, I'm thrilled. Um, 
Terry Crews is is doing the voice of Tentacular. Uh, oh, that's so, fun. Yeah, all of this has been, and, you know, and then and then you got people in there like Tony Danza is playing a an older grizzled monster trainer, and and uh, the movie's going to be fun. I, I guarantee you, the movie will be fun. Um, it's just it's just not that close to my book at this point, but uh, you know, I. I I think I fought against the system for a while, and then uh, and then eventually, I just decided to relax and enjoy the ride. And and um, you know, I'm not alone. You know, I know Stephen King has hated almost every adaptation of his stuff. And and um, what's well, yeah. that reason? <laughs> a lot of times. That, yeah, right, That's right. And, and, and you know, it just it's an old story. I'm not telling a new story. Hollywood, you know, took it changed. I remember somebody told me at the beginning. This is how involved you'll be. You take your book to the, you know, to the border of um, California and throw your book at L.A. And that's as close as you'll get to controlling what they do with it. Um, <laughs> and, and again, I'm not even I, I, I it's it's Paramount Real Effects and they do amazing animation. And their job is to make a movie that's going to sell well, put people in seats, uh, thrill people. You know, my story was a fairly quiet kind of uh character piece and that's not really what young kids are looking for when they go to see an animated movie so i think i think what they've done is made a movie um the best movie they can come up with to get people in seats and, and that sort of thing so i, I understand what's happened <laughs> I, I i feel like i'm backtracking or something but i, I really am excited about the movie well, in some ways, I think that almost is 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 better when the movie is a little bit different. Like I know you mentioned Stephen King, uh, who that's what what always cements for me the fact that there's nobody sacred in Hollywood. Like what screenwriter goes, ah, you know who's smarter than the world's best selling novelist? This guy. Let me show you how this plot should have been. Oh my god. Um, but uh, you look at something like The Shining, um, is a favorite of mine. That is wonderful as a movie and wonderful as a book, and they are two different experiences. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I would hope for that for, for Rumble. I hope that they make a, 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 a monster fighting video game so you can play the video game based on the movie of your book. That would be tremendous. I, and you'd I have all that and you, you walk into a room for the rest of your life once uh, author events are back up and running and everyone comes you know, rushing up to you with their, their Rumble action figure. <laughs> and you, you get that credit. But then when they go and they sit down and they read your graphic novel, they're going to have a different uh, a different experience um, that will also be, you know, they can eat their cake and eat, uh, have their cake and eat it too, kind of. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I, ideally that's what will happen. I think they'll um, like the movie and like the book. Uh, so um, just the people I worry about are the people who already like the movie and are expect or already like the book and are expecting that when they walk in. But, you know, that's a fairly small number of people compared to the amount of people who are going to go see a movie. Um uh, when it comes out, so um, even when a movie is a hundred percent reverent and faithful to a book, and I'm thinking of maybe like the by the time they got to about the second Harry Potter, the third Harry Potter, that <laughs> was like almost word for word exactly translated what that it book was. was, and it still wasn't as good as the book. It's, it's very good, but yeah. the book is still its own superior experience. Yeah, no, it had the magic was in the writing, I think, and and uh, you just couldn't translate that. So. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I'm excited about the movie, but it's been a, a long, unusual experience. So uh, we'll see. 
I can't wait to see it when it comes out. And I think I think they're saying um, January of 2021. Although who knows with you know the COVID stuff going on, I don't know. You know they're not in animating it right now, so that may set it back a little ways. Um, this may set a lot a lot of things back a ways. So. We'll see. Well, let's get back a little bit uh, to COVID because I, I, I promised that up front. Yeah. That was one motivation that I wanted to come out because I knew I had a bunch of pre-recorded shows where we don't say anything about it because we didn't know it was a thing. Our, our government was lying to us and telling us not to be concerned, um, not to get political, but no. that's what they were. Um, so what? how has this changed not just your launch, but has this changed your, your writing life, your working life? It has changed my, my writing life. Um, you know, it's interesting, like the week before everything got real scary and we were all kind of told to go to our houses, um, the week before that, I got diagnosed with uh, flu influenza A. And so I was really sick for that week before there. So I like to tell people I was quarantining before quarantine was cool. But um, so I feel like I've had know, three or four weeks at this point kind of... Uh, I haven't left the house much. Um, and I'm a guy who likes to go out and write. I always write at a coffee shop. Um, some days I'll write at a couple of different places because I'll bounce around. Um, it's been, it's been hard. I, 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 uh, I also think that the news and what's happening in the world is just like this sort of constant drain on the back of your brain. Um, you know, social media is constantly, your phone's pinging with the next horrible thing. And, and, um, so I, I found it hard to work during this time. I'm hoping that I'll eventually get used to it because I think we may be here for a while. Um, and I'm hoping I'll eventually get used to it and start getting more. You know, I've, I've stayed up on my strip. Um, I've had to do some things leading up to the uh, launch of Wink, but my writing has, has suffered. Um, and... Uh, well, coming right up to a launch of a of a book that you've worked so long on and, and means so much to you, would that not be a little bit the case right now, even without the COVID nineteen, that you you would be that focused on a new project yet? It is, it is, and it's also just exciting. Uh, you know, um, you, you start getting reviews, and you know, um, you know, people from this from the publisher emailing me and you know, hey, we need this. Hey, can you do this Q and A? Hey, can you you know fill things out? Um, so in, in, in that way, I'm, I'm ex excited enough that I'm distracted by it. And, um, you know, it, um, this past couple of weeks probably hasn't been the best time to write, period. Um, but, you know, then you add on the fact that you feel like you can't leave your house. Um, it makes it tougher. You know, I think there is a little part of me that feels really guilty. It feels like, oh, I'm in quarantine. I should be writing three novels and you know uh, come out of this thing with uh, you know just scads of stuff that I've written um, and drawn and painted and all this. I'm sure you've seen the uh, Shakespeare meme about writing King Lear in quarantine. Yeah yes and it's like it's just like well I don't need that pressure. Um, nobody needs that it finds that inspirational by the way. Oh well if Shakespeare could do it I guess here I am the next Shakespeare so it makes sense that I would. <laughs> yeah yeah I'm not Shakespeare. So, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, I'm, I've been frustrated with my ability to get work done uh, in these past few weeks, but I'm hoping I, I turn a corner here. Um, especially now that the book is out, I feel like there's been kind of some pressure building up, and now it's kind of released a little bit like, okay, the book is out, I can kind of kick back and um, 
you know, I'm, I'm going to start doing hopefully some, some digital school visits, things like that, once the schools get back in session. Um, but that won't happen for a little while. So uh, I think we're all going to have some time on our hands for the next month. Uh, so hopefully I'll, I'll get back into, into some writing. I know some author visits are still possible via Zoom. So a lot of classes are still convening a couple of hours a day online. Sure. Uh, so you can get in there, you can address an entire school. Now you might have the problem that some of those kids are going to be, you know, playing the Rumble video game and <laughs> the author. Yeah. But I don't know. Not all of them, but many yeah. of them. You're thrilled and remember it forever. No, I didn't. Their, their COVID 19 story. When we were in, Rob Harrell came to our school virtually and talked to us. That's true. That's true. It'll stand out. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, I also just think it's kind of a scary time, and everybody's got this certain level of anxiety that's just uh, hiding under the surface. And, uh, you know, it's sort of like a car battery where you leave the lights on, it's just kind of slowly ticking away at that. Um, so, I guess eventually you get used to things, which is an awful thing to think that we'll get used to being in quarantine. But uh, if we're here long enough, I think um, I think we're humans. Is what we do. We adapt. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I, I got thinking about it the other day. I'm like, is there going to be some part of me that's sad when this quarantine ends? <laughs> which is a really sick thing to think. But I'm like, uh, you know, I'm home with my dogs and uh, my wife, and we we you know make dinner every night and, and uh, play music and, and um, you know, I think it, maybe it's doing some good things for families and things right now. People are, I, I hope so. I hope the COVID is, uh, I hope there's an up, a, a silver lining to all of this. Yeah, I, I, I think that either way there probably will be, but I'm a natural optimist, so I would think that. Um, I've been I'm glad we're talking about this because I know a lot of writers uh, watch and listen to the show uh, and are probably going through something similar I've been putting that pressure on my I was putting that pressure on myself uh, when I when I was also uh, sick uh, prior to the quarantine starting I was like okay well you can lay here feeling bad but while you're feeling bad get your laptop and (laughs) type a little bit start plugging Uh, away and uh, this this Last week in particular, uh, you know, I had to tell a bunch of podcast people that they are podcast people, guests, potential guests for the show that, hey, let's let's back off and let's let's see just how bad this is going to get. Because I don't want to schedule something for you or with you for two weeks from now. I don't know what two weeks from now looks like. Yeah. Uh, and that's just unfortunate. It's, it's a real anxiety. Like I said, at the, the top of the show, it's my first pandemic. I had no idea what to expect. It's it's making future planning difficult. Um, I am in a, a lucky position. My, my wife and I both work from home quite a bit prior to this. Um, so this is not a tremendous upset for us the way it is for some people, although having my six-year-old uh, constantly underfoot is, is definitely um, is lovely. Oh, my God, uh, how much I love him. But it would be nice if I could get him to go someplace for an hour so Daddy could finish the scene. But that's, you know. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Well, we'll get a routine down. We'll be all right. Yeah, but if uh, if you're putting that pressure on yourself, esteemed audience, if you're thinking about all the all the things you should be doing, how somebody out there is doing quarantine perfectly and it's not you, probably not. Uh, this is none of us have gone through this before. This is an extraordinarily terrifying time. Um, I usually 
try to avoid politics because I'm not a pundit. Um, but it does feel like an extra level of exasperation um, is I, I feel almost like I'm a Gothamite. Uh, and every time uh, Donald Trump speaks, it's like updates from the Joker about how he's poisoned us and <laughs> how bad it's going to get before Batman shows up. Yeah, um, and that adds a, an, an extra level of, of unbelievable anxiety. I think that uh, beyond the fact of just uh, uh, the, the plague itself, I, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I generally try to keep my politics out of it, especially because I do sort of a family strip that runs in papers and all that. And uh, but yeah, I hear you, hundred uh, um, percent. It's it's been exasperating some of this stuff. Just you know bad situation made worse at times and um yeah sorry no no no, you're good uh, so remember esteemed audience rob can't talk politics rob harrell no politics <laughs> i try to stay out of it <laughs> the other Trust me, there are times when i want to get on and go nuts on facebook but i i uh i always think nope remember your number of papers and then i drink <laughs> I maybe that makes a pile of uh Facebook posts that were going to go up and then at the last moment my good sense kicked in. Yeah. <laughs> now they're yeah. just saved in a, in a file where I can maybe think about them for a couple of days before they go up. Yep. And those of you that uh, follow me on Facebook say, "My God, well, we've seen what you what you actually <laughs> up. It must be in that file." <laughs> pretty bad. Uh, one, one more uh, thought on COVID, and then, then we'll move away, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk about uh, probably flying saucers. Um. Uh, but uh, we mentioned silver linings. And one thing that um, I do believe, if I have one political thought in my head, is that our society is and has been terribly disorganized for a while. We talk about the economy, and the economy is just an organization of the distribution of resources. That's all it is, and that's all it's been. And one thing that this epidemic is quickly making clear uh, is just how poorly organized our society has been when so many of us can't go a week, two weeks um, away from their job without wondering whether they're going to be able to pay all their their bills. Um, I hope that people will remember the billionaires who um, openly proposed uh, killing as many of us as as was necessary to keep the, the Dow going. That's my hope for a silver lining is what should have been fixed a while ago will will finally hopefully be addressed. After an absolute minimum harm. Okay, Rob Harrell, do you oh, believe dear. in flying saucers? Have you ever seen one? <laughs> I have never seen a flying saucer. I want to so badly. I wish uh, I wish I would. Um, I haven't. Uh, you know, I and I'm somebody who looks for them. So um, I know the next question is going to be, do I believe in them? And uh, you know, I definitely believe in life on other planets, intelligent life on other planets. So if you believe in that, how can you not believe in, you know, you might see a UFO at some point. Um, it just doesn't statistically make sense to me that there wouldn't be intelligent life on other planets. And, and um, so have you? Uh, no, uh, it's, it's on my bucket list. I, I look up a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I, I watch compilations of YouTube videos. That's one of my favorite uh, things that people toss out as a, a skeptical argument. Well, if there were out there, everyone's got a camera. Where are the videos? I'm like, have you been on the internet? It's <laughs> yeah, right. there's, yeah, there's there. photos of babies and flying saucers, and that's the internet. 
Good so point. it seems probable that if I keep looking up sooner or later, I might I might spot one. But thus far, I have I, I know people who have uh, who I find uh, wholly trustworthy. I get very excited when I when I see a new thing, you know, um, and I saw something and it turned out to be. I can't remember what the explanation was. Just last week, there was some something going around online where somebody had seen this huge light. I think it was down in Brazil or something. And I, you know, I do. I get excited. Um, I'm waiting for the time when it when they prove that it isn't something they can prove. So, um, yes, I believe. I think. Well, now would be a great time if, like, uh, the Keanu Reeves, uh, whatever his character's name was, the alien Keanu Reeves lands and says, "Oh yeah, I got a cure for COVID nineteen. Here you go." <laughs> That'd be all right. Well, be... <laughs> well, like at the, at the end of War of the Worlds, wasn't it water they needed, or was that signs? One of them they needed just uh, water. Signs was water. War of the Worlds was a virus. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, all the aliens uh, caught the sniffles from us, and oh, we gotta get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've got enough virus to go around right now, so they can attack it now. Yeah, so this, this could be a good thing. That's that's another silver lining. Is if the the aliens come now, we <laughs> we're <Absolutely. set. laughs> yeah. we're getting uh, back a little bit uh, to your to your area of expertise. Um, mm-hmm. I did want uh, to ask you uh, a couple of things. I wanted to ask you getting back to Wink just a little bit. Um, I wanted to ask you about. Um, the art throughout the novel. Um, mm-hmm. I know that back in uh, episode 38, uh, I wanted to make sure I plug Thomas Taylor, uh, who also uh, does a lot of illustrating on his books and who has a sequel to Malamander coming out shortly, worth a, worth a Google esteemed audience. Um, but when I talked with him, he talked a lot about being able to go back and forth between um, writing the book and drawing the book to help him out with world building and also to help him through some of those stretches that I think every writer comes to where um, the story is just not coming or whatever. And that was a way to maybe switch over to another mode and, and, and be creative and get work done until the writing kicked back in. Yeah. Do, do you find that to be your experience? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, uh, in, in Wink, I don't actually draw characters as much. There's a couple of drawings of Ross and some memes that happen. Um, it's more objects and things that he has sketched. Um, but especially like in the Life of Zarf books, I know that designing those characters and knowing what those characters look like um, definitely led me to, you know, I understood I understood the characters more. Like when I finally found the design for how I wanted Zarf to look. There was just part about the way he looked that gave me his personality a bit. So I, th- I think they feed off of each other. Um, but, you know, there's also a certain amount of, um, uh, I, I mentioned following your energy kind of thing, but there are days when your writing brain just isn't there. And it's kind of nice to be able to have, uh, oh, well, I have these 80 illustrations I need to do. Um, so I can spend the day, it sort of takes pressure off you. It's like, oh, well, I can be productive, but I don't have to do that kind of productive. I can be this kind of productive today. Um, and there are days when I feel like writing the strip. There are days when I feel like sketching, making the strip, or when I feel like writing, or when I feel like illustrating. It's really nice to have that kind of find your lane each day. Now there are times when you get into a deadline and you don't have a choice. It's like, oh, no, I have to work on this today. But um yeah, I, I think uh, 
you know, one of the, one of the major things that I deal with is guilt. Sometimes when I'm drawing, I feel like I'm guilty that I'm not writing, or when I'm writing, I feel like I'm guilty that I'm not drawing. Um, but when I'm working on a book like Wink, and I know those illustrations have to be done as well as the writing, uh, it's really nice. It's a really nice break sometimes to just uh, relax, put on some music, and work on the illustrations for a day. Um, and that that sort of can reset your brain a little bit, I think. Uh, and then you take that pressure off of yourself. Because sometimes when I get into, uh, you know, fighting with the plot, I can't figure out how to make something work or I can't figure out exactly where I want to go next. Um, you know, it's that thing where if you're trying to think of the name of some actor and then you happen to, you know, two hours later, you're doing something completely different and not thinking about it and that name pops into your head. Um, so I, I think that happens with writing as well. Uh, so it's nice to have productivity that's not the same kind of brain exercise, if that makes sense. Sounds like this kind I'm, of uh, jealous. Well. You've got your subconscious working. I have to go mow the grass or do dishes because I'm not I'm not artistically talented that way. <laughs> I, I wish. Well, it seems like that opens up all sorts of avenues for storytelling. Um, would you, you know, ever? I get, I get I get ideas in the shower, and I, w I wish I could take longer, hotter showers, but I feel bad about the environment, so I don't do that. Um, <laughs> so I I try to you know get my ideas quickly during a hot shower, and then uh, that usually you know. It's usually where they come to me, it seems like. Oh, I need to get a virtual reality shower going so that writers of the world can, can be in there two hours and the environment will be fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. So what, uh, I'm curious, as I, as I went through, um, the uh, drawings add so much uh, to the story. I love the bat pig uh, diversions that really show us the inner workings of, of Ross's mind. Um, the prose in and of itself works just fine. If you were to do an audiobook uh, for long stretches of this without those illustrations, the story is still 100% there. It, it's coming through very strongly. Would you ever consider uh, writing a book that had no illustrations other than maybe the cover? Definitely. Yeah. I, 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 uh, that's something I would like to try. Um, and honestly, with Wink, we had you know, before we landed on where we are right now, there were versions where I had lots more illustrations and lots more sort of um, cutaway jokes, you know, almost gags, more like uh, what I did in Life of Zarf or what you would see in Diary of a Wimpy Kid, something like that. You know, um, I had a lot more of those jokes, like jokey jokes, I would say. Um, and then at one point we took them all out and then we just had, it was just the prose. Um, and then, you know, I started working on the bat pig idea, brought those in. And at one point I had drawings in there of all the different characters. Um, you know, one thing about that that was nice is, uh, well, again, like I said, I think you get a sense of the character from the art that kind of helps build out the world. Uh, but I finally decided that I wanted to leave the people to be deciphered in people's minds. I don't, I, you know, it, it was, there were so many versions. Um, and so much put, taking out illustrations and putting illustrations back in and taking them out and putting them back in and then rationalizing why we have this kind of illustration, you know? Um, and, and eventually I came down to these more sketches that he does in his sketchbook. And he's just, you know, he doesn't do drawings of 
people as much. So you see more, he draws like the mask that they use to lock him down when he's getting his radiation treatments. Um, and you see um, sort of little drawings of his world. And, and so there was a lot of rationalizing in my head of, uh, and it just felt too jokey. I, I never wanted anybody to think I was being flip or glib, or I can't even think what the word is for, you know, I didn't want anybody to think I was taking cancer lightly. Um, especially having gone through it myself, I get a little bit of a pass, but at the same time, the worst thing that could ever happen is somebody to read this and be offended by the humor that's in it. Uh, so finding the right tone with the illustrations, uh, was as much a part of the book as finding the tone with the writing. Um, and ultimately a lot of the humor comes from the way Ross thinks about things. So, uh, I feel like we landed in the right place. Um, but yeah, I would, I, <laughs> it was a long way to answer that. No, no, I, would no, it's great. Write, I would love to write a book with, uh, you know, I'd like to write an adult novel at some point, or I don't, <laughs> that, that sounds bad when you say adult novel. Um, I just mean <laughs> a novel for adults. Um, well, Peril, you're a grown man. You write whatever kind of book you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm kind of a closet horror fan. I would love to write something scary. Um, I've come up with a few scary ideas for books, uh, middle grade books, and uh, apparently they've been too creepy or something. So, uh, so we haven't gone down that path, but. Um, oh, yeah. I would love that, especially if I had uh, some of your art throughout to enhance the horror. Oh, that'd be, ooh. Yeah, yeah. I can offer you a contract, but <laughs> for what it's worth, publishers listening, the, yeah. I, I'm excited about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I am too, and ho hopefully I'll find the right idea at some point that'll uh, be the perfect blend of, uh, you know, scary but not too scary. Or as my friend's my friend's kid said when he was little, he used to say uh, he'd want a story that was spooky, but he didn't say the S. He'd say Pookie. I was like, I want Pookie, but not too Pookie. And uh, so <laughs> I always think of that by my head, like make it spooky but not too spooky. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, a couple more uh, questions to unpack a couple of things you said, and then maybe we'll we'll start to think about calling it a night while we're still having a good time. Sure. Uh, now, hopefully, we're we're not past that point. Uh, yeah. But I just want to unpack just a little bit this idea of trying to strike that uh, balance between uh, not being flippant, not undercutting the seriousness of Ross's uh, situation mm -hmm. of the family members, and I never felt like you you crossed that, and so. I wanted to know what, how did you decide on what, how to still be funny? Because like I, like I promised a esteemed uh, audience right at the start of the show, this is a very funny book. You're going to laugh. You're going to laugh hard, much harder than you would think you would laugh, uh, given uh, the, the, the content. Um, so what was that line and how did you make that, those decisions? Was it just a gut feeling or did you have like a, 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 like a checklist of things that, that you had to go through with jokes to make sure that they were, uh, in, in the right lane? I, I don't know how to word it correctly. Yeah, no, no, I know what you mean. I, I probably had an internal checklist and then, um, I, I think, what I finally landed on was I wanted the humor to come from Ross's voice. Um, and having gone through a lot of the same things that Ross goes through in this book, um, I guess I felt like I had a pretty good sense uh, of, of where the humor could be. And I, I will also say this is 
another example of where having a great agent and editor who work with you on the book, um, if they ever felt icky about something, for lack of a better word, uh, you know, they would say, but we really didn't have too much of that. It, it was a question of finding, um, probably the toughest part of that was the, the cartoons, because originally I had more, like I said, cartoons in there, and, and they just felt too jokey, so we pulled those. Um, but as far as the writing, I think, uh, so long as I kept it in his voice, in his head, and that's part of why it's nice to write in first person like that, uh, you know, the sense of humor comes from the way he puts things and the way he, you know, there's lots of comparisons in here. He's like, oh, this is as bad as blah, you know, and, and that'll be funny. Or, you know, you know, things like, oh, I felt like, you know, I got slobbered on and it was as, I'm trying to think of an example, but um, I, I, I think just keeping it in his voice was the most important thing. And if it felt authentic to his voice, then it was okay. Um, now, you know, I have some things that happen, like there's a there's an incident with some hair and, and uh, in the lunchroom, and um, I wanted I wanted that to be. Uh, I think there's humor in there, but it's also kind of heartbreaking, um, and that's some of my favorite stuff in books when you can find that line to ride where you're almost not sure how to feel about it as you're reading it, you know, or you laugh and you feel bad for laughing, but yet, you know, then he laughs about it and you realize he's still got a sense of humor about it. Um, it, it was just sort of a dance that you do throughout the whole book. Uh, again, that sounds kind of weird to say writing was a dance, but I, I think we were constantly writing that line and trying to find the right balance. And um, there were some scenes that had to go because they didn't feel right. Um, and uh, somebody asked me, you know, I, I told somebody, ultimately, I'm not even sure how funny or sad the book is because I just kind of, on some level, told the story uh, in Ross's voice. And, um, you know, I would love to set it aside and five years later come back and read it and, and figure out. Because uh, some people have told me that different parts choked them up that I, I guess I didn't even think of that. Uh, I was just sort of telling the story. So I, to me, that's a big compliment because at least it feels like I wasn't manipulating people. I wasn't sitting here going, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pull a tear out of a person right now. Um, uh, you know, I whenever... defend the, uh, um, I call them Nick, the Nicholas Sparks of the world. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That is what we're paying for. Uh, here, here's my money, Mr. Sparks. Make me cry. <laughs> That's true. That's right, true. I, 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 I would like for it to happen authentically. And I'm not saying, you know, Nicholas Sparks doesn't. Uh, I think he's a master at it. Uh, but, you know, I was never, I, that was never my aim was to make somebody cry writing this book. I was trying to tell the story. And, uh, and I think if that comes out organically, um, yeah, there were times when I was definitely trying to make people laugh, uh, but but the the sad parts uh, that happened more just out of, of what the story was. I think. Do you find you feel more comfortable uh, manipulating people to laugh than uh, trying to manipulate them to feel a different emotion? I do, I do. Yeah, I'm sure somebody, could, an analyst, could uh, take me apart for that. Um, oh, I think that's just that Midwestern Hoosierness. <laughs> I think it is. I think My Midwestern nights comes out. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, and I, I feel think, the same way. I, I I think it's because we're we're Hoosiers. <laughs> that must be it. Yeah, and and I I've had several people, you know, say on Twitter or something. Oh my gosh, this book, you know, oh you made me cry. And uh, my first instinct is I want to be like, oh I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> maybe that's not the reaction I should have, but um, I wasn't setting out to do that. Uh, I think I knew it was a sad story in parts, but I but I wasn't. Um, I wasn't going for a tear count or anything like that. So. If it helps, I feel that when I when I when I cry during a story, that's mm-hmm. a version of applauding the author. Like, hey, you did you did great stuff. Here you go, you were in these. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know, everything I've written before this has been kind of funny. So in some ways, it just kind of surprises me that somebody would react that way to something I wrote. So um, that's um, uh, it. Does feel like somebody's Say, nice job. <laughs> you wrote that well. Uh, so uh, that feels good. It should uh, be gratifying. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's that Midwestern, uh, I shouldn't be comfortable with it, but uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's it, you've done a good thing for the world. People need to cry. They need to get this emotion off their chest. Yeah. Uh, especially if they've dealt with anything even even close to similar to the, the situation in this book. This could be a tremendous aid to them. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope so. That, that's my ultimate goal with this. So, um, uh, yeah, it, it was it was a tough book to write in parts, but uh, I'm glad I did. Really, I uh, meant to ask you a little bit more about uh, Dan Lazar. We we uh, went back to when you when you first met, uh, and then I got sidetracked with my uh, crazy ranting about Batman. Um, but uh, happens all the time. Yeah. Uh, with uh, at what point did you develop this relationship with Dan and with your your editor, who was Kate? Is that right? Kate, yeah. Kate. At what point did you d- develop this relationship where you trust them? How involved? I mean, would you send them chapter one and an outline, and hey, this is what I've got going? When do they come in and, and start collaborating? Uh, I get more to like eighty pages in before I'll show Dan. Um, and I usually, I work with Dan in the early part of the process. And uh, with Wink, uh, we actually finished, I mean, we, I wrote the whole book with, you know, working with Dan um, in chunks. I would send him chunks and then we'd kind of talk again. And, uh, and then, so we didn't show it to the publisher or anything until it was, it was written. Um, now, that, then, I, then I started working with Kate and... Uh, the publisher and we started working on improving it even more, I guess would be the word, or, you know, um, taking off the rough parts. There were parts that they weren't sure about. That's sort of thing. We worked through all that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I usually don't show anything to Dan until I get 80, 50, 80, hundred pages in, um, until I feel like he can really get the flavor for what I'm trying to do. Um, is he and, the first uh, at that point, or do you have uh, other readers lined up before it gets to him? No, he's my first reader. Uh, I usually just send it to him. Um, that actually, that's not entirely true. I have a friend, uh, Mitch Larson, who he, at one point he he read uh, he wrote Penny Royal Academy. If you're familiar with that book, and oh he sure. And I did, yeah, he and I did a book tour together for one of my Zarf books, and him and Ursula Vernon, you know. Um, oh, sure. The three of us did a book tour together. It was so much fun. Um, so at one point, Mitch did read uh, 
the first few chapters of Wink, and and uh, I got some feedback from him. Uh, but but yeah, usually Dan is Dan is my first stop, um, and I I really trust his his um, his views. You know, he 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 has such a good way of seeing what I'm trying to do. Here's how you might be able to make it better. But then, you know, as an agent, he has, of course, he has the market, things like that in the back of his mind. He knows kind of, he has sort of a sixth sense of what people are looking for, um, what's already out there. I mean, you know, I think I'm a, I read quite a bit, but, you know, there's no way you can know everything that's, that's coming out. And uh, it's pretty amazing that an agent can have that, that much of a, finger on the pulse of what's going on and say, oh, there's a book that they're doing over at such and such publisher that's just like this. You know, you, you might want to steer away from that, that sort of thing. Uh, that's that's helpful, too. Um, it's incredibly helpful. Uh, as far as when that all started, it was it was when I did the first Zarf book. And uh, I'd say early on in the process of doing Zarf, I just felt very comfortable with, with both my agent and my editor and um and luckily we continue to work with both of them so uh i consider that a it's just it's just a pleasure to work with both of them well it's obviously uh working out <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I i feel really lucky I, I don't know what it would be like to work with an agent and an editor who you didn't get along with i i can't imagine um so yeah i, I count my blessings as far as that's concerned it's uh, one of those things that, you know, the, the metaphor that writers often toss out is my books are my children. Well, if that's true, when you're bringing Dan in at 80 pages, that that's your co-parent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And usually, usually the 80 pages is more of just a check, like, I'm not way out of my mind that this is something, right? And then, and then I go back and I'll write, you know, 100 pages more or you know it, it, the, the first one is sort of a check-in and then uh and then i but i'm not sure everybody i'm sure everybody doesn't work that way but uh you know even if it's just um a sort of a little quick pat on the back i kind of i kind of appreciate that um so works for me at this point Oh, writers desperately need those pat on the backs. That's uh, yeah. that's everything. We're all neurotic, and uh, yeah. So that's part of it. Is is uh, if I know if I don't show it to somebody, if I were to just keep working, my neuroses would eat me alive. So I have to at least, <laughs> somebody, at least somebody to tell me it doesn't suck, you know. And then I'm like, okay, okay, I can keep working on this. Sorry, you can edit that word out. What suck? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I think we can handle that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. It's my Midwest nice again. No, I, I felt. Uh, I try to keep the show profanity-free, uh, yeah. which sometimes feels like a, a real disservice. Like when I had uh, Daniel Jose Older uh, on here, uh, I, I've got uh, one hand tied behind his back. That man uh, is 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 profanity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why would we take that away? It was, it was actually uh, Kathy Appelt. Uh, was the first person person I would least uh, imagine uh, would break it. She was the the first person to oh, what the heck is my show? Uh, she used the word asshat. <laughs> uh, that's <laughs> so one of my favorites. Yeah, right. 
<laughs> like it's funny you're the first, second person today to mention my midwesternness uh i filled out a, a questionnaire today and and uh so he was like oh yeah you filled that out in a very midwestern way or something like that and i was like oh, okay i need to work on that because um i think that's my first impression rob if you got to know me a little bit better i i would you know that's when the that's when the language gets saltier and i i get a little uh a little mess more Less Midwestern. Although, I don't know. It's in my blood. I can't help it. Yeah, nice. I mean, yeah. I don't think I've ever met a teacher or a children's book writer that you get them away from the from the, from the events and maybe a drink or two. Uh, and, and they're some of the most profane people on earth. God bless them. Uh, and, and they need to be. You've been, you've been very responsible. You kept it at bay all this time. Right. Now the kids are gone. Let it run rampant. <laughs> yep, lots of pressure valve off for yeah, yeah. Well, before we uh, before we get there, it's probably time for me to ask you my final question, uh, and 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 then we can go be wicked demons. My my final question is always some variation of um, if there was something you could go back and tell young Rob Harrell uh, back when he's waiting tables and struggling, or at any point uh, in your in your journey. Uh, that maybe would have made a tremendous amount of difference for you that would have made things easier or that might make things easier for all the, the authors listening to us now, what would you go back and tell yourself? I think the main thing I would tell myself is to let go of this idea. I think I always had this idea that authors, successful cartoonists, um, whoever it may be that's doing well in the business, that they know something. Like there's this feeling that they they know something I don't. There's a not, not that not that it's like a secret club. I just mean um, that eventually, if I if I listen to enough of them or something, that I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna figure out what that one key element is uh, that I need to focus on. Uh, you know, I wanted to write a book for forever. And uh, uh, I now, now that I'm writing books, I realized the reason I didn't write books sooner was because I didn't write books sooner, if that makes sense. It's like one time, one time I, I went to a book signing and a, and a book talk. Uh, Clive Barker was doing a talk at, at, um, at Barnes & Noble. And I went in. Afterwards, I asked him, you know, what's your one piece of advice for somebody who wants to write a book but hasn't written a book? And uh, his advice was something along the lines of um, start writing on page one, write until you get to about 500 pages, and then end it. And uh, <laughs> which sounds really snarky, but it stuck with me. And uh, it's just doing it. And, uh, and, the th and the thing that I think is interesting about writing a book is there's nothing graceful about it. There's nothing, I, I, I don't think there's anything romantic about it. I think, you know, I always pictured like sitting under a tree by a stream writing a book, you know, um, it's just hard work. You just start writing, you write a bunch of stuff and then you wait a little while and you go back and you see if any of it's good take out the stuff that's not good you keep the stuff that is good and you keep keep working and it's just 
it's just like slugging away in a way it's 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 like digging a ditch it is hard work and you just gotta do it and and i wish i could go back and tell myself and, and granted maybe i just wasn't ready to write a book yet when i was younger um you know i know i was a lot of stuff going on um yeah wasting your time uh, getting a nationally syndicated comic strip <laughs> yeah 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 well yeah but it, that was the same thing it, they, i mean the idea is like it's real easy the easiest thing is to sit around and complain and think why aren't i writing a book um the hard part is to sit down and crack open your laptop or your notebook and, and start writing and um and then, you know, then I, I, I think I tried writing things and I would write 25 pages and I would lose interest in it. Um, and it's, I think what I needed to do was just, I think at 25 pages, I realized this is really hard. <laughs> this isn't, um, this isn't flowing out of me in the way I, you know, you might see in a movie. Um, and that's when I should have just said, no, I'm not going to get up for the next three hours. I mean, sure, you got to stand up so you don't get problems with your legs. Sure. <laughs> Sorry, I came out wrong. But, um, but you know, you got to stand up. But what I mean is you just kind of hunker down, and I hate that term because everybody's saying that about COVID-19, but you got to just sit down, and sometimes it's not comfortable and your back hurts and you're tired and you're whatever, but you just got to do it and just keep cranking away. And that's not probably the kind of inspirational thing you wanted me to say for young writers, but it, there isn't a, there isn't a trick. There isn't a, at least if there is, I haven't found it yet. Somebody call me and tell me if there is one. Uh, Cause that'd be great if there was a trick. Um, there is, and I'll be talking all about it at the Indiana Writer Center Writing Workshop sign up. Okay, I'll be there. I'll, I'll be there. The secret. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I just think um, I could show you some of the stuff I wrote early on on Wink, and you'd, you wouldn't like it. And, and it was just a question of going back into it and going back into it and going back into it, and it gets better each time. And, and uh, So anyway, I mean, it, I'm trying to think of something a little more upbeat that I could um, – that I could share, uh, but I, I, I wish I could tell younger me not to worry so much. I, I, I'm a worrier by nature, and uh, and that may be part of what drives me. You said something about me being, you know, me being out selling T-shirts. Um, I'm just inferring. I mean, just based on the fact that you are where you are, you've done what you've done. Uh, you yeah, can't. I, I wouldn't have gotten here without. The, yeah, I wouldn't have gotten here without the worrying. I think so. Maybe that's an intrinsic part of me, because um, the worrying is what uh, sometimes propels you. So maybe older me would come back to me now and tell me to worry less. Um, that would be nice. Uh, so it's fun. I, I like it, but it is a lot of work. And so um, I think that's what I would tell my younger self. And I would probably say, just get busy. Start now. Don't wait. Um, I'm 51, and and I have this this book out, and uh, you know I see much younger people coming out. And again, maybe they were ready, and I wasn't ready. But there is part of me that thinks, "Well, I wish I knew that it's just roll up your sleeves and start typing, um, and uh, you'll get there." Uh, 
and, and then I would also tell younger me or a younger writer to enjoy it, enjoy the the ride because um, those years when you struggle and you're waiting tables and you're coming back and working on things at three in the morning, um, that's kind of a magical time. So uh, don't be in any rush to, to get past that. Um, stressful and you're tired and all that, but uh, it's also kind of the fun part. Well, if you could be assured, this is a little thought exercise I like to I like to do, is if you could be assured that, say, I don't know, age 45, uh, on that date, everything is, the stars are going to align, you will be officially, you will have made it as an author, you will be the most famous, you'll be Tomi Adeyemi famous, it'll, it'll be amazing for you, um, at, but at 45, okay. But do those first 44 years not count? That's still a significant portion of your life. For God's sake, enjoy that enjoy part it. Too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, that's the other thing is I, I think um, I tried writing some things. You know, I said I'd get to 25 pages and I'd um, write, write what you like. That's probably the other most important thing. Um, write, you know, I think I spent years trying to figure out how to write something that other people would like. And, and uh, if you write what you like, you're going to enjoy what you're doing. And um, and if you enjoy what you're doing, our chances are somebody else is going to enjoy what you're doing. Um, I hope. I hope I've got that right. I'm not sure. That's an extremely inspirational note to end on. We got there. <laughs> we got there. Okay. I didn't, want you guys, I didn't want you people to think. You know, I didn't want anybody to watch this and be like, man, that guy was a downer. Uh, no, I think I think honestly telling people that, uh, you know, the inspiration stuff is good, but also the practical sit down and get to work. That's it's not, you know. I've actually, uh, you, you can't see it above my desk, I've got a uh, quote from Grapes of Wrath. It just says, uh, just shut up and get to work. You ain't big enough or mean enough to worry God much. I have that right above my desk, and I look at it on a regular basis. I'm just, like just like got to get it done. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm a fellow Midwesterner, so <laughs> who knows? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, we're meant to like work in the fields or something. So I think you know, we've got that work ethic. Blind leading the blind. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rob, uh, when uh, when quarantine uh, is behind us, let's let's get a cup of coffee. We're we're about twenty five thirty minutes away from each other. I think let's make that happen. Uh, in the meantime, where uh, can esteemed audience find you online? Get their copies of books. Uh, get the copy of Wink. Follow you on Twitter. All that stuff. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Harrell Rob. It's H uh, A R R E L L Rob. Um, on Instagram, I'm Rob Top. It's R O B B T O P P. Uh, back from the big top days when I was doing the comic strip. That's where that name comes from. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, you can find me at robharrell.com, and that will take you to places where you can buy the book uh, or all of the books. Um, I think that's about it. Uh, I don't have a TikTok yet, so nobody well, wants to see me dance. We've got time. I, I, I may try all sorts of different social media apps before this quarantine is over. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, a friend of mine just sent me his whole family doing some dance thing on TikTok, and, and uh, I'm like, oh, no, I'm not I'm not taking that jump. But, um, yeah, so right now that's that's where I am. 
and I hope to be posting some videos on uh, during this quarantine. You know, I think I'm going to be doing. Um, I already posted a how to draw bat pig video, a video sort of introducing the book. Uh, I'm trying to do more. They're pushing me to do more. Uh, social media is not my natural state of living, but I'm but I'm working on it. Um, and it's great because it's a, it's so great that there's a way to connect with people. Because imagine if this quarantine had happened and you had a book coming out in the early '80s or something. You know, you um, there'd be no way to get the word out almost. Um, so, you know, thank goodness for social media at this point, and we're able to do this. Yeah, no, this is this is absolutely wonderful. It's like a writers' conference uh, every week for me that I can do. Yeah. Here in, in the comfort of my home, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we've got a great program here. So uh, now I got to go back and binge them all. That's I've got the time. <laughs> you do as well as Steve does. Yeah, yeah, I'll be there. And that's one of the things uh, I, I said at the beginning of the show. We'll we'll, we'll see what happens because again, I feel like we're all on a roller coaster coming to the top of the hill. This is our first pandemic. Who knows what yeah. comes next? But I do find that just me having sat around this week, when I see one of my favorite podcast updates with a new episode, it's just pure joy that comes to me that, that, that nothing else can write. Oh, my, I'm going to have that now. My, my, my time with the dishes is going to be easier. <laughs> yep. yep, exactly. And, uh, yeah, I listen to this Never Not Funny. I don't know if you remember I watch it. Oh, sure. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it, it makes my day when they pop up. I'm like, oh. And, and uh, you know, they're all doing it like this now. Uh, they're all calling in and doing it on video but uh it's so good just to hear people joking around and having a good time so uh yeah we'll get through this we will yeah we will we will definitely arrive at a very real outcome <laughs> <laughs> well Listen, said audience uh, thanks again for for being with us as always uh keep Keep uh, up to date at uh, middlegradeninja.com. Download your free copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. You've got the time to read it. Uh, check out the uh, Zoom courses with the Indiana Writer Center. I hope to see you there. Uh, Rob, I always ask our guests to sign us off because I, I've heard that professional-type podcasts have sign-off phrases and uh, want to at least attempt uh, some professionality around here. Uh, yeah. So the sign-off phrase is hi and what have you. Will you sign us off? hi what have you.